Awesome. Just wanted to uh, add to the home group or the connect group uh, the importance of it for just the vision and call on this church and on our each of our lives. That connect group is a time to fellowship. It's time to get together. It's time to pray for one another. It's time to get into the Word. But it's a time for the body to be activated. It's a time for each of us to see our giftings fostered and to grow up in maturity. You will find that you will not mature much in the Lord unless you start to let the Lord use you in his work. If you're constantly receiving from the Lord but never doing the work of the Lord, you, you hit a plateau. It, and this, the proverb is, those who water will in turn be watered. So I encourage you with Connect Group, get locked in, find one. It's, it's, not, it's a critical component in your walk and the life of this church. I want to say thank you to anyone who was praying for me. <laughs> last week, I missed last week. I was, had some health challenges, and I do appreciate the prayers. I trust that God is continuing to work on me. Um, thank you, Lisa. I do thank my wife, wonderful wife, for all that she's done as well. If you recall last week, or two weeks ago, I, I started in on Ephesians and came on to a prayer that Paul had prayed, as it were, and it was, a, it was a prayer that the Ephesians would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation that they might know, grow and increase in the knowledge of God, that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened to the hope of their calling, and that they would know the power, the dunamis of God. And this is the prayer I have for each one of us. And I encourage you in this to meet God in that prayer. You know, when somebody's hungry and say, Lord, feed me, they don't just sit back and say, Lord, feed me. They press in. And so I just encourage you with Ephesians to read the book multiple times, to read it. If you don't have your own Bible study going, which is great, to start to read Ephesians. It's only six chapters. I also listen to it when I run. I'll listen to Ephesians. That's about 17 minutes. And now I'll listen to worship music. But listening to the words, you, it, you get a different dynamic. And you begin to feed on it. And the Spirit begins to, to reveal things and cover things. But you've got to avail yourself to the Spirit in, in putting in the time, in, in reading, in, in even some of the, the resources on Ephesians on YouTube and just illuminating the history is fascinating. For me, it helps retain it. And so I encourage you with that. Um, and in light of that, I just want to open in prayer and just ask God to reveal. We just come before you now, Father. And we thank you for your word. We know how many times this letter has been read over the course of the period with which it's been written till now. And we just ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we'd increase in the knowledge of you, Lord. We ask for our hearts to be enlightened, the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened, to know the hope of our calling. Lord, we just ask for a revelation on the dunamis of God, what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, Dale. Thank you, Lord. All right. So in the beginning, this is the beginning, opening up in the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. And... I just want to just sort of illuminate the portions I feel God wants me to and then to, to move quickly through other portions. Um, but today I just feel like Paul, I want, God wants me to address actually the first three verses of this book. And this is Paul here. 
Paul, an apostle Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I really feel to highlight, in particular, the Paul in this passage. Now, we have various levels or, or understandings of who Paul is in the room. You may have just come to know the Lord a week ago. You may know the Lord for 50 years. I trust it will still bless you, but I do feel to, to, to highlight a bit of who the author of this letter is. You know, if you got a letter from someone and you were ignorant to the letter, you'd, you'd read it, but would it have credibility to you? But then when you find out maybe the letter is from X, someone you really look up to, someone who is a real interesting person who has lived a life that is worthy of respect, you would give far more credibility to it. Naturally, you know this is inspired by the Holy Spirit, but I do think it's helpful to look at the life of Paul really quickly here because we're going to dive right into, in this, in this letter, so much of what was in his heart. And so much was born in this letter is out of the life that he lived. It's out of the trials he lived. It's not a man who's giving you a theological treatise. It's not a man who's giving you a doctrine who got from a PhD from a school, who sits in a nice home, who types it out, who pontificates back and forth with other theologians. This is a man who applied what he believed. He is going to give to you what he lives. He's going to give to you what he walks in. And his desire is that you would have that same revelation. Now Paul, he shows up at Saul in Acts chapter 8. Now if you know Acts chapter 8, it's, it's, it, show, it, it kind of scans. You can almost see it like, and Saul. Because Stephen has just been martyred in Acts chapter 7. So Saul, who is Paul of Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus, is the first to oversight this, this uh, murder of Stephen. The first one's recorded in, in, the, in the scripture. And he oversights this and he is breathing threats. He cannot stand this new movement called the way, because it is detracting from the established religion with which he is committed to. There's no one more committed as a Pharisee than Paul. We don't know what he did when Jesus was doing his thing. He only comes on the scene in Acts chapter 8. But this man was hardcore. And he pursued and rounded up um, Christians. He murdered them. But interestingly enough, in the following chapter, something happens to Saul, who is Paul. I'm going to call him Paul, even though he was called Saul in some of the passages I'm speaking on, just to stop any confusion. Paul meets Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 9 on his way to a place called Damascus. He has already gone before the Sanhedrin to get letters that would allow him to go to Damascus and round up Christians, people who follow the way, and imprison them. He is on his way there. He has knocked off his horse by a, at around midday by a light that is, outshines the sun. And he hears a voice from heaven that says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's Jesus. And he says, who are you, O Lord? And, and, and he says, I am Jesus. And Paul is struck blind. And he has had to be led by the hand to Damascus. Can you imagine what the three days he's blind he was thinking about? He didn't eat or drink. What is he thinking about? He was confronted by Jesus Christ. The people that worship him 
he is killed. And he is killed in the name of God. Matthew chapter 10, the Lord says that would happen. People would come in the, in the future and they would be thinking they're doing God's work and they'd be murdering you in my name. And we still hear that to this day. It's the oddest thing, isn't it? And so here's Saul and he gets, he Ananias comes and, and, and he, his scales fall from his eyes. And Paul is flipped. And not short, not, not, it doesn't take too much for him to tick off all of the Pharisees in Damascus. So much so that he's had to be let down by a, by, by, by a, um, a rope over the wall because they want to kill him. And so why wouldn't they? He's a traitor. And so this is the life of Paul. And in, in this, Ananias prophesies over him and essentially tells, tells Ananias that this man's going to suffer. And suffer he does, but he does not give up. He continues to press on. In fact, Saul's, Paul's life is a fascinating life. You can see here the trips he made. It is said that he spent around, he would walked about 15,000 kilometers over the course of about 20 years. His writings are prolific. They are powerful. They saturate the New Testament. Much of what we get in the New Testament, the aggregate of the letters in the New Testament, were written by Paul. He was whipped 39 times. Five times. He was beaten with rods three times. In Lystra, they took rocks and they threw it at him until he was dead. He was stoned. He was three times shipwrecked. He spent a night and a day in the sea. This man was not to be trifled with. You know, if you're doing a, an equipped time and we go, hey, you got Paul coming. You can imagine him going to the bath. He like, takes his shirt off and his back would be marred. His face disfigured. Like, what happened to you? I was just preaching the gospel. He was pursued continually for his life. There was a death warrant on him from the Pharisees. And it says he ran from town to town because the Pharisees were pursuing him to murder him. And upon all of that, he had the weight of the churches. You know, he'd go in, he'd spend his poor out of his life in these churches, and then he'd hear they're off in some stupid doctrine again. And he'd go, have I run in vain? He, this man is committed to the gospel. And of course, we know his life ended in Rome where he was executed. Amazing pillar in the history of the God's church. He was clearly an instrument of God he, to spread the gospel. So when you got a letter from this man, all right, okay, let's see what he has to say. Let's see what he has to say. Now, when you contrast Ephesians to other letters Paul has written, particularly in the beginning, in the intro, it's not a normal intro. It's, 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 it's more of a broader intro, even if Ephesus is, is actually said to not have been in the original. In other words, the letter was most, most likely to the broad area of Asia. But you'll notice he doesn't mention to the elders and deacons. He doesn't mention anyone there that maybe had written to him. He's not replying to anyone's questions. He's just, he just coming in, speaking quickly, and he will get right into it. And this is why I believe he gets right into what is most closest to him. And that is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. 
This is what Paul has given his life to. And I have, in the past, as you know, I have likened Paul unto a master chef. And Paul is cooking his signature dishes in Ephesians. He's just going to lay it out. And we can marvel at the truth, and, and we do. And we can sing them, proclaim them. But at the end, Paul wants you to eat them. To take them inward, to digest them. So they become a part of us. Not something we just look at and marvel. And, and we're going to get into some verses that... I'll use the word shocking. Lisa says I say shocking all the time. Are shocking. When you read them. When you marvel at them, what Christ has done. The doxology, which is to follow, and it's like a hymn. Paul goes, goes into like a hymn of the mystery of the ages of the Father's desire through the Son to reconcile, to address, to empower. Before I feel to get into that, I would like to offer some key truths to help digestion. You know, sometimes you can eat certain food and you go, I don't digest that. So the food might look great, but you didn't digest it. In other words, it's not, digestion means your body it makes it's useful on the inner part. It means it can take what you're taking in and use it and disseminate it through structure, our bodies. And I do think to help with digestion, I'd like to go through a few things. And I'd like to highlight the following preposition. <laughs> now, you guys know me about prepositions, particularly in Roman. And now, me talking about prepositions is like a vegan talking about burgers. So forgive me. If I am getting off course at all, but I just want to, to highlight prepositions. Maybe I should, okay, I'll describe what a preposition is because I wouldn't know either. Preposition is a grammatical term used to express a relationship of a noun or pronoun with the rest of the sentence. It helps ground or locate a pronoun or a noun. So Nick, theater. So am I in the theater? I'm outside the theater? The preposition helps locate me in relation to the other noun. So are you in the theater right now? Yes, I am. It's a fact. It locates you. What if you're not feeling very good? Are you still in the theater? It's got nothing to do with feeling. It's got nothing to do with even if you're sleeping or awake. It's actually just locates you. Let me show you what I'm meaning here to try and figure I know, we're done with English. This is verse 3 in Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I believe that the little preposition is often missed and misunderstood here. And as a result, Christ is done cannot be completely digested. I feel I need to explain the in principle that we find in the Bible. I believe that most of us would say, by Christ we've done many things, but the Lord would correct us and say, no, it's in Christ. And that preposition makes a dramatic difference. As much as if I'm by the theater or in the theater. I'm in dramatically different locations. It's extremely important 
for us to, in order to digest what Paul is going to talk about to understand this principle. Now, let me add one other thing here. They're, they're axiomatic spiritual principles. Axiomatic is like A plus B equals C. You reap what you sow. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man or woman soweth, that he shall also reap. That has applied from the dawn of time. Whatever color you are, whatever race, creed, time, whatever language you speak, it's axiomatic across the spiritual realm. You reap what you sow. Right? To him who's faithful in a little, he's faithful in much across all spiritual, all spiritual time. These this applies, okay? So to help me illuminate this in principle, which applies to everyone across all time, I want to start with a natural metaphor. Now, there's been a recent phenomenon of people being really into their history. 23andMe or something. You take these tests. You, you send away your saliva. You do some weird things. And you send it to some person you've never met. And you give them money. And they, in turn, send you back your heritage. And it's quite popular. And there's multiple. I don't know how accurate it is. Because everyone seems to be rock stars these days. And, uh, and uh, you know, it gives you, it gives you a breakdown of the region of the world you're from. And I think it helps ground people, gives them a sense of heritage. You know, there's a lot of breakdown in the family, so maybe it just helps with that. Or bloodlines. It looks at bloodlines where you're related to. And it gives people a sense of belonging. Now, the family tree is an interesting thing, and, and I thought I would just be sensitive to the time we're in. You know, I almost felt like she, God save the queen. As my mother is, as you guys may know, I'm an immigrant from the UK. My mother loved the queen. And uh, what we see here is a family tree. Remember the in principle. Now, you'll notice at the bottom there's kids there. How did those kids get in this family tree? They were born into it, correct? Now, do these children, are these children at all aware of their heritage? Do they cease to be in the royal family if they know it or not? They're just in the bloodline. Do these children have any work to be done in order to be in the bloodline? No. They're born into it. Have they made any contribution to the royalness? I know that's not a word. See, each subsequent generation from Queen Victoria, each subsequent can all be found in Queen Victoria. What happened to her indirectly and directly affected them. So the only reason these children have any royalty is because of their great-great-great-great-great-grandmother. And that would go on for a long time. What happened to Queen Victoria directly affects them. So, for example, if Queen Victoria died at a young age, much of what you see before us would have died in her. No one would fight that. If your great-grandfather died in the Second World War, you would not be here. So you were affected by generations and generations and generations before you. And it's interesting to note, if you look at, if you watch The Crown, which my wife likes, I don't watch it in sequence as much, but Queen Victoria's dad didn't want to be a king. So you can be in the royal family and say, I'm not into it. 
I mean, he still had the royalness in his blood, but he did not achieve what he was supposed to be. He did not take on the mantle. And that's why Queen Elizabeth was queen. Let's just transition to the spiritual to give a bit of understanding. We trust God will give understanding. Just as we have a family tree in the natural world, there is a family tree in the spiritual world that the Bible speaks clearly about. And that is one of Adam. You will hear Adam. Forgive me. I don't see the Adams here, though. Oh, we got Adam up top. We love Adam. But Adam is a type. And if you want to investigate this more, and I just don't have time to, look at Romans chapter 5, 1 Corinthians 15. These are key passages to help you understand if, if you're not going to get it, if you're not understanding. It, this is incredibly important to understand this. That we are caught up. If you've been born on this earth, you have been born in Adam. You've been caught up in Adam. That is the spiritual lineage. That is the family tree. Okay? Now, if we look in Genesis chapter 3, Adam sinned. He fell. He rebelled against God. And we see that this was catastrophic because through Adam, sin entered the world. This is Romans chapter 5, verse 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to all men, for everyone sinned. It could no longer walk with communion with God. The land would no longer produce necessary food but they would have to till the ground for the food and the, of the sweat of the brow. So death, unrighteousness cut off from God. This is what Adam gives and what is Adam spiritually. And this is the lineage of all those who are in Adam. Even though it was a long time ago, it affects right through the bloodline. So Nick in Adam. So when I'm in Adam, I partake of all that Adam has. And Adam is death. For since by man came death, um, by a man also the resurrection of the dead. For Adam all die. So you see, I was in Adam, so when Adam was dead, I was dead. When Adam is unrighteous, I am unrighteous. I am cut off. But, thank the Lord, and this is the key revelation, is that when you come to Christ and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you enter into Christ's lineage. You enter into what Christ has done. You enter into his finished work. This is why another passage to add is John chapter 3. Why you must be born again. You must enter and become, be born of water and the spirit. You must be identified in Christ. You can shine yourself up. You can go to church. You can read your Bible. But if you've not entered into Christ, you are still lost. And Jesus called the Pharisees who thought they were very righteous whitewashed tombs. So I'm no longer in the lineage of Adam. By faith, I am in Christ. This is a key ingredient to all that Paul speaks about. This permeates Paul's teaching. When he, when he prepares a meal, when he, the master class and the master chef prepares a meal, this permeates it. Are you an Adam or are you in Christ? Because if you are in Adam and you try to take on 
what is only for those who are in Christ, you will have nothing but frustration, legalism, burdens, all of it. You will continue in sin with the revelation of it, but not knowing how to get out. This is amazing when you, when you read Romans 6. And I don't have time to get into it, but it talks about our baptism. When you were baptized, you were baptized into Christ's death. And don't stop there, so that when in his resurrection, you would be raised up with him. So that you might live, that you would no longer offer yourselves as slaves to sin. He goes into it. It's the mindset of understanding what it means to be in Christ. It has nothing to do with education or effort. Good works can ever take one out of Adam. It is only faith in the finished work of Christ. I trust this said some insight because Paul is going to talk about in him, through him. The prepositions is not by Christ he did this. No, it's in Christ. It's like you come up to the Lord and you say, Lord, I would like all the blessings you have. Father, I'd like all the blessings you have. It's, it's in Christ. It's not apart from Christ. Salvation is Christ. He's not pointing you to the way. He is the way. He said this to Philip in almost frustration when Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father. Show us the way. Actually, he says, show us the way first. And he says, Philip, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And he finally says, well, just show us the Father. He goes, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And if you don't believe the words, he says, at least believe what you, the deeds you've seen me do. The desire I believe that Paul has as we go through Ephesians is not to marvel at the finished work of Christ, is not to marvel at the literature, the beauty of Scripture only, but to partake. Anytime I watch, I do like those cooking shows, forgive me, um, not the cooking shows, Netflix some, chef, master chef stuff. I'm not a foodie, sorry. But it has convinced me to maybe one day spend 500 bucks on some 11-course meal. Because you realize what goes into it, the heart and the passion. And if you watch that, you'll see, like to me, Paul just passionate about this. But you can imagine when they feed it, they want people to eat it. Not just to marvel at it, but to partake in it. He wants us to apply it. To not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. To absorb it. And I can tell you from my own life, it is not something that just naturally happens. You must press into the word in prayer and reading the word, listening to the word. I would challenge you to memorize the word. Every preposition of the word. When Paul says, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives. It's no longer I, Christ. And you begin to meditate because you're like, you can know the scripture, but when you, when you, when you memorize it, it starts, to, it starts to highlight. It starts to become alive because the word of God is living and active. Avail yourself to it that it may work in us. Time does not permit me to go on in Ephesians, but I want to say this. I put before you the door of Jesus Christ. I don't know where each one of us is at today, but there's only one door. 
There is no other name under heaven by which anyone can be saved. Only Jesus is the door. Jesus was born of a virgin to create a new line, just so you know. All your other gods that you want to put on that door were born of Adam. And as a result, fall. No matter how good you think they are, it's their DNA. It's not just their deeds that are at issue with. See, God doesn't want to just change your fruit. He wants to change what you are so that fruit may change. But the religion of men just wants to change fruit, not realizing you missed the whole point. If you make an apple tree into an orange tree, it will then bear oranges. The fruit doesn't last because maybe you're still an Adam. And the call of God on each one of us is to come. The door that waits is there. The access to the kingdom is through Jesus Christ. I'm just going to ask you guys to come. You know, if you're new to Christian faith or you're here to observe Christians, you will be wigged out about how much we talk about Jesus Christ. We sing about him. We praise him. Every time we get together, you guys, aren't you guys a little bit, I'm going to tell you this man, we're going to get into it. It's amazing. Everything comes through him. The consummation of the ages is through this man. This is the only one door. There's many falsehoods. There's many potential doors. There's only one. And it says that he is standing at your door, as it were, knocking. And he is saying, come, repent. Come, take, turn from your self-righteousness. Come out of Adam into Christ. Forsake what you think is good works, because none of us are good. And come into Christ, who is righteous, who is holy, who is set apart. Not my good works. And you can see why Paul is like saying, maybe you've been hanging around the door and you're pointing to that door saying, yes, Jesus is right. Jesus is the way. And you can, as it were, mimic what sounds like life. But you must enter that door. You must go through the door into Christ. And in Christ is where the blessings are. In Christ is where righteousness is. In Christ is where the where dunamis power is. In Christ is where communion with the Father is. It is through Christ that we have access to the Father. He is the door. Let's stand together, please. Thank you, Father. We just honor the name of the Lord Jesus Christ here. All hail King Jesus. He who is from above is above all. We are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone here that believes. And that the righteousness of God is revealed. I don't know where you're at here today, but I'm going to ask you, if you do not know Jesus, if you have known about him, and you have, but you have not entered his door, you have not submitted yourself, you have not said, I need you, Jesus. I cannot do this. If you've never confessed your sin, your shortcomings before him, I ask you to consider it today. Lord Jesus, help me, a sinner. Save me from my sin. Forgive me of my sin. Bring me in. Bring me out of the darkness, into the light. The dominion of darkness ripped out into the kingdom of light. 
Set my new lineage. Set me in a new heritage. Break off the Adamic. Put on Christ. Lord, I just pray that you pour out. Draw men and women to yourself here. Pour out, Lord. Just open your heart. In Christ. Through Christ. All is you, Lord. All to Jesus we surrender. All to him we freely give. Pour out, Lord. Thank you, Lord.